All she wanted was to read, learn and write in peace without being dictated to by the misogynistic Mexican society. Juana Inés de la Cruz lived during Mexico's colonial period when women were not allowed to attend university. Despite this, Juana educated herself through books and began writing her thoughts about love, feminism and religion. Yet, Juana could not avoid the advances of men who believed she should settle down and marry. She sought the safety of a nunnery, which allowed her to continue writing until her opinions upset, male, members of the clergy. This is the story of the first feminist in the Americas, the Phoenix of America, who rose from the ashes of religious authoritarianism. Juana Inés de Aspaje y Ramírez de Santillana was born on 12 November 1648 in the village of San Miguel Nepetla near Mexico City. Although she had older sisters, Juana was an illegitimate child because her parents never married. Her father, a Spanish captain called Pedro Manuel de Aspaje, abandoned the family shortly after Juana's birth. Her mother was a Criolla woman called Isabel Ramírez. The Carrillo people were Latin Americans with Spanish ancestors, which gave them more authority in colonial Mexico, which belonged to the Spanish Empire. Juana's father was Spanish, and her maternal grandparents were Spanish, thus making her a Criolla. Despite the lack of care from her biological father, Juana grew up in relative comfort on her maternal grandfather's hacienda, the Spanish equivalent of an estate. Her favorite place was the Hacienda Chapel, where Juana hid with books stolen from her grandfather's library. Girls were forbidden to read for leisure, but this did not prevent Juana from learning to read and write. At the age of three, Juana followed her sister to school and quickly learned how to read Latin. Allegedly, by the age of five, Juana understood enough mathematics to write accounts, and at eight, wrote her first poem. By her teens, Juana knew enough to teach other children Latin and could also understand Nahuatl, an Aztec language spoken in central Mexico since the 7th century. It was unusual for those of Spanish descent to speak the native languages. The Spanish aimed to replace the Mexicano tongue with their Latin alphabet, so it was almost with defiance that Juana went out of her way to not only learn Nahuatl but compose poems in the language too. Juana finished school at 16 but wished to continue her studies at university. Unfortunately, only men could receive higher education. Juana spoke to her mother about her aspirations, suggesting she could disguise herself as a man to attend the university in Mexico City. Despite her pleading, Juana's mother refused to allow her daughter to attempt such a risky plan. Instead, Isabel sent Juana to the colonial viceroy's court to work as a lady-in-waiting. Under the guardianship of the viceroy's wife, Leonor de Cartu, 1616-73, Juana continued her studies in private. Yet, she could not keep her ambition secret from her mistress, who informed the viceroy of Juana's intelligence. Rather than reprimanding her, the viceroy Antonio Sebastián Álvarez de Toledo, 1622-1715, took an interest in Juana's education. Wishing to test Juana's intellect, the viceroy arranged a meeting of several theologians, philosophers, and poets and invited them to question the young girl. The men quizzed Juana on many topics, including science and literature, and she managed to impress them with her answers. They also admired how Juana conducted herself, and she remained unfazed by the difficult questions they threw at her. News of the meeting spread throughout the viceregal court. No longer needing to hide her writing skills, Juana produced many poems and other writings that impressed all those who read them. Her literary accomplishments spread across the Kingdom of New Spain, which covered much of North America, northern parts of South America and several islands in the Pacific Ocean. Yet, female scholars and writers were an anomaly at the time, 
and rather than attract praise, Juana drew the attention of many suitors. After refusing many proposals of marriage, Juana felt desperate to escape from the domineering men. She wanted to have no fixed occupation which might curtail, her, freedom to study. The only safe place she could find where she could continue her work was the monastery of St. Joseph, so she became a nun. Juana spent over a year with the Discalced Carmelite nuns as a postulant, then moved to the monastery of the Hieronymity nuns in 1669, preferring their more relaxed rules. The San Jeronimo Convent, which became Juana's home for the rest of her life, was established in 1585 by Isabel de Barrios. Only four nuns lived in the building at first, but they soon grew in number, becoming one of the first convents of nuns of the St. Jerome order. They based their role in life on the biblical scholar St. Jerome, 342-420, who translated most of the Bible into Latin. Known for his religious teachings, Jerome favored women and identified how a woman devoted to Jesus should live her life. During his lifetime, Jerome knew many women who had taken a vow of virginity. He advised them on the clothing they should wear, how to conduct themselves in public, and what and how they should eat and drink. Despite taking on the title Sor, the Spanish equivalent of Sister, Sor Juana's main aim was to focus on her literary pursuits. Whilst she followed the ways of the Hieronymity nuns, she spent all her spare time writing. Juana's previous employers, the Viceroy and Vicereign of New Spain became her patrons, helping her publish her work in colonial Mexico and Spain. Sor Juana also received support from the intellectual Don Carlos de Siguenta y Gongora, 1645-1700, who shared her religious beliefs as well as her passion for literature. Siguenta, who claimed, there is no pen that can rise to the eminence, of Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz, also encouraged Juana to explore scientific topics. Sor Juana dedicated some of her works, particularly her poems, to her patrons. Those written for Vicereign Leonor de Cairtu often featured the name Laura, a codename assigned by Juana. Another patron, Marchioness Maria Luisa Manrique de Lara y Gonzaga, 1649-1721, was Lisi. Juana also wrote a comic play called Los Impinos de Unicasa, House of Desires, for Doña Maria Luisa and her husband in celebration of the birthday of their first child, Jose. The first performance of Los Impinos de Unicasa took place on 4th of October 1683 and contains three songs in praise of Doña Maria Luisa Manrique, Divine Lisi, Let Pass, Beautiful Maria and Tender Beautiful Flower Bud. The protagonist, Doña Ana of Arellano, resembles the Martianess, who Sor Juana held in high regard. The play features two couples who are in love but cannot be together. Mistaken identities cause the characters much distress and the audience much hilarity. By the end of the final scene, everyone pairs up with the right partner, except one man who remains single as a punishment for causing the initial deception. In terms of theme and drama, Los Impinos de Unicasa is a prime example of Mexican Baroque theater. Another play by Sor Juana premiered on 11th of February 1689 to mark the inauguration of the Viceroyalty Gaspar de la Cerda y Mendoza, 1653-97. Sor Juana-based love is but a labyrinth on the Greek mythological story of Theseus and the Minotaur. Theseus, the king and founder of Athens, fights against the half-bull, half-human Minotaur to save the Cretan princess Ariadne. Although Theseus resembled the archetypal Baroque hero, Sor Juana portrayed him as a humble man rather than proud. Sor Juana also demonstrated Baroque literature in her poetry. Often full of philosophical ideas, Juana explored themes of the deceptiveness of appearances and female intelligence. 
In Ombres Nesias, foolish men, for example, the nun reveals the illogical behavior of men towards women, treating them as objects of passion rather than human beings. In other poems, Juana wrote about the disillusionment of love and the pain it caused. Arguably, Sor Juana's best poem is Primero Sueño, First Dream, 975 lines about the torturous quest of the soul for knowledge. As night falls and the body sleeps, the soul separates from the body and dreams. The soul contemplates the world and the existence of everything from flowers to human life, taking into account all the details and mysteries of each object. Yet, it fails to grasp the overwhelming abundance of the universe, and the sun rises once more, forcing the soul back into the body. Critics interpreted Primero Sueño as Sor Juana's dreams or thoughts, which were highly philosophical compared to the average person. She explored themes of Neoplatonism, the idea that the world is divided into hierarchies, and scholasticism, which combined Christian theology with classical philosophy, particularly that of Aristotle, 384-322 BC. The latter believed every living organism had more than one purpose or cause, which Aristotle split into ten categories, substance, quantity, quality, relatives, somewhere, sometime, being in a position, having, acting, and being acted upon. It is likely Sor Juana came across Aristotle's categories during her studies, either in her grandfather's library or the San Geronimo convent. Sor Juana's writings, poems and plays covered many of her interests, such as religion, philosophy, mathematics and science. She also enjoyed music and studied the theory of instrumental tuning, on which she wrote a treatise. Sadly, this work is lost, but evidence suggests she wrote some of her poems, intending to set them to music. Not all of Sor Juana's writings were intended for public consumption. In 1690, Manuel Fernandez de Santa Cruz, 1637-99, the Bishop of Puebla, published Sor Juana's critique of a sermon by the Jesuit priest Father Antonio Vieira, 1608-97. Titled Carta at Nacaritza, Athenagorical Letter or Letter Worthy of Athena's Wisdom, Juana expressed her dislike of the colonial system and her belief that religious doctrines are the product of human interpretation. She criticized Father Antonio Vieira for his dramatic and philosophical representation of theological topics. Most importantly, Juana called the priest out for his anti-feminist attitude. Alongside Sor Juana's critique, the Bishop of Puebla published a letter under the pseudonym Sor Filotea de la Cruz, in which he admonished the nun for her opinions. Ironically, the bishop agreed with many of Sor Juana's thoughts, but he ended the letter by saying Sor Juana should concentrate on religious rather than secular studies. Whilst the critique focused on a religious sermon, Sor Juana included colonialism and politics in her argument, which the bishop felt were inappropriate topics for a woman, let alone a nun. Sor Filotea expresses the admiration she feels for Sor Juana, but at the same time reproaches her for exercising her talent in profane subjects instead of devotional literature. Although Sister Philotea does not declare herself against the education of women, she does express her dissatisfaction with the lack of obedience that some already educated women might demonstrate. Finally, she recommends Sor Juana to follow the example of other mystical writers who dedicated themselves to theological literature, such as Santa Teresa de Avila or San Gregorio Nacencino. Sor Juana responded to Sor Filotea, the Bishop of Puebla, in which she defended women's rights to education and further study. Whilst she agreed that women should not neglect their duties, in her case her obedience to the Church and God, Juana pointed out that one can perfectly well philosophize while cooking supper. By this, 
she meant women could balance their education and everyday tasks. She jokingly followed this with a quip, if Aristotle had cooked, much more would have been written. In her response, Sor Juana quoted the Spanish nun Saint Teresa of Avila, 1515-82, as well as Saint Jerome and Saint Paul to back up her argument that human arts and sciences are necessary to understand sacred theology. She suggested if women were elected to positions of authority, they could educate other women, thus alleviating a male tutor's fears of being in intimate settings with female students. The nun's controversial response caused a lot of concern amongst high-ranking, male, officials who criticized her waywardness. They were angry with Sor Juana for challenging the patriarchal structure of the Catholic Church, and for claiming her writing was as good as historical and biblical texts. As a result, the San Jeronimo convent forbade Juana from reading and sold her collection of over 4,000 books and scientific instruments for charity. With no one on her side, Sor Juana relented and agreed to renew her vows. The convent also required Juana to undergo penance, but rather than signing the penitential documents with her name, she wrote, Yo, la peor de totis, I, the worst of all women. From 1693 onwards, Sor Juana focused solely on her religious orders. Never again did she pick up a pen to write or a book to read. Instead, Juana spent her time either in prayer or tending the sick, which led to fatal consequences. After nursing other nuns stricken during a plague, Sor Juana fell ill and passed away on 17 April 1695. Before she was silenced, Sor Juana penned over 100 works, the majority of which went unpublished. Unfortunately, many were lost, and only a handful remain. Those that survived were compiled into an anthology. Several writers, including the Mexican poet and diplomat Octavio Paz, 1914-98, have studied Juana's life and writings, focusing on the difficulties women faced while trying to thrive in academic fields. Several scholars argue that Juana's advocacy of intellectual authority is one of the first recorded instances of feminism. Some liken her to the Mexican painter Frida Kahlo, 1907-54, although Juana was ahead of her time, a proto-feminist. Although Sor Juana Nesta La Cruz is almost an unknown entity in the non-Spanish-speaking world, her work and reputation live on in Mexico, where she remains a national icon. Her former cloister is now the University of the Cloister of Sor Juana, which the Mexican government founded in 1979. During the renovations, builders discovered bones believed to belong to the nun. Due to a lack of ancestors, tests cannot be carried out on the bones to confirm the identity, but a medallion similar to the one depicted in portraits of Juana found in the same place is enough evidence for some. Feminist movements of the past and present have adopted Sor Juana as a symbol, along with Frida Kahlo. Some also link both women to LGBT movements, although Sor Juana never disclosed her sexuality. Evidence suggests Sor Juana became a nun to avoid marriage, but others argue she was an indigenous lesbian. As part of her penance, Juana cut her hair, which some interpret as an attempt to masculinize her appearance, likening it to Kahlo's self-portrait with cropped hair, 1940. Sor Juana is also a religious symbol of Mexican identity, both in relation to Catholicism and Aztec beliefs. The latter is due to Juana's choice to write some of her poems in the indigenous Nahuatl language. She also wrote a play, El Divino Narciso, Loa to Divine Narcissus, which features two indigenous people named Occident and America, discussing their religious beliefs with two Spaniards, religion and zeal. Yet, her devotion to the Virgin Mary is evident in other work by Sor Juana, as is her decision to take her vows at the San Jeronimo convent. 
Sor Juana continued to inspire and influence people in Mexico and Spain in the 20th century. She appears as characters in literature, such as Yo-Yo Boing. By Puerto Rican author Giannina Brosky, B.1953, which debates the greatest women poets, including Sor Juana and Emily Dickinson, 1836. In 1962, Telesistema Mexicano broadcast a miniseries based on Sor Juana's life, and in 1990, the film Yo, La Peor de Todas, I, The Worst of All, premiered, based on Octavio Paz's book about the Mexican nun. In the 21st century, Sor Juana's fame finally made its way into English-speaking countries. In 2004, Canadian author Paul Anderson published a novel based on Sor Juana's life called Hunger's Brides, which won the Alberta Book Award the following year. In 2007, Margaret Atwood, B.1939, published a book of poems, including Sor Juana Works in the Garden. In the music world, American composer John Adams, B.1947, used two of Sor Juana's poems in the libretto for the Oratorio Opera El Nino, 2000. In 2015, the Royal Shakespeare Company performed Helen Edmondson's, B.1964, play the heresy of love as part of the Spanish Golden Age season. Finally, in 2017, Google honored Sor Juana with a Google Doodle to mark her 366th birthday. Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz has yet to earn her place among the greatest women in the world outside of Spanish-speaking countries, but her ideas are gradually making their way into contemporary works. Sometimes referred to as the the Tenth Muse and the Phoenix of America, Sor Juana is an inspiration to everyone who faces adversity, particularly in terms of human rights and education. Fortunately, life for women has drastically improved since Sor Juana's time, but the necessary changes only began 100 years ago. Sor Juana was not afraid to point out the inequalities in her society. Yet, with no one to back her up, there was nothing she could do to change things during her lifetime. If Sor Juana could see the world today, she would be pleased with our progress. Dash. My blogs are now available to listen to as podcasts on the following platforms, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, and Spotify. If you would like to support my blog, become a Patreon from pound 5 slash M or buy me a coffee for 3 pounds. Thank you.